Hopefully it keeps me smiling. Everybody can look smiling tonight. Within my heart a melody, Jesus whispers sweet and low, fear not I am with thee, peace be still, in all of life's ebb and flow, Jesus, 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 sweetest name I know, fills my every longing, keeps me singing now all my life was wrecked by sin and strife discord filled my heart with pain jesus swept across the broken streets stirred the slumbering cords again jesus 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 Let's turn around and shake hands and fellowship one with another. to be in church on Wednesday night. Say amen. Glad you're here. Let's remember all the other activities that are going on. The Awana next door and then the teenagers in their midweek service. A lot of things going on besides what's going on in here, but we're glad you're here. Let's pray now and ask the Lord to open our hearts tonight, work in our hearts and to touch us tonight. Visit us here on this Wednesday night. Roy Phelps, you leave us in prayer if you would, please. Yes. Yes. 
Yes. Amen. Bless the word. Yes. Honor the Lord. Yes. Yes, Lord. Amen. Yes, Lord. Yes. Amen. Let's continue to sing. 322. I just keep trusting my Lord. 322. I just keep trusting my Lord as I walk along. I just keep trusting my Lord and He gives us hope. Though the storm clouds darken the sky. I feel like that song, I don't know why it is. I, 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 it's a great song. I love it. But I just want to holler yee-haw when we get this thing. Uh, yeah, it just makes me think of Roy Rogers or something. It really does. That's a great song. Let's let our ushers come forward and let's receive our offering. And again, everything you give on Wednesday night goes to the Bible conference. And uh, I can't emphasize uh, the importance of your giving on Wednesday night and what we're able to do each September. We could not do it if you did not give. So I want to encourage you every Wednesday night to drop something special. And what challenge many of you to do, and to, to on Wednesday night to give at least one penny for everybody's in Sunday school, three or four dollars a week, which is not a whole lot, and give that, and that'll go a long way. But give as much as you can, again, for the Bible conference. Uh, Justified to be singing uh, Friday night, and many of you are interested, and you try to go with them, be with them different places, to be singing in McDonald, Tennessee at the Rorton Club building. That's at 7 o'clock. There'll be other groups there singing. And so Friday night, if you're free, want to go get some, hear some good music, be a good place to go. Let's pray and give tonight. Father, thank you for the privilege of being able to give to you and for the reasons for which we give. Bless now and continue to open the service, open our hearts to what you're doing in the service. In Jesus' name, amen.
on Christmas Day, we had the privilege of visiting Patty's mom in the hospital in Charleston, West Virginia. And as we were visiting her that day, we were singing with her. And we thought of the song, Alas, and did my Savior bleed, and did my Sovereign die. Because, you know, that's the gospel, how he loved us and how he gave his life for us. At the cross, at the cross where I first saw the light, and then our lives were changed. And I thought about how faithful the Lord is through us, day after day, year after year. And it's all because of at the cross.
Take your Bible to 1 Kings chapter 18, and what a joy it is to be here with these kids. I tell you, boys did good. Adam, Aaron, Jonathan, y'all did good there. One of these days you'll get some folks to support you that really help you make you sound good there. But that was good. What a blessing. Are you glad to just be a child of the King? A burden of sin rolled away. I remember that. Remember that Sunday morning in 1972 when the burden of sin rolled away. Well, if you've been with us on Wednesday nights, you know that we have been traveling around the country with Elijah. And we've been going different places with Elijah and so doing, highlighting uh, the special events in the life of Elijah. Not looking at every little detail, but uh, the way I liken it was just get on, we got on a bus with him about three weeks ago and we went down to a place called Kareth, as many pronounce it, Cherith. But we got on the bus. We wanted to ride around with Elijah for a while. And so we went down to Kareth. And we saw took care of him there by the brook of Kareth. And then after spending some time there, we got back on the bus and we went on to Zarephath. And we spent a little while there. And we saw how God took care of Elijah and how he worked behind the scenes and arranged everything, not only to take care of Elijah, but to take care of a widow woman and her little boy. So what I want to do tonight is get back on the bus and let's head up north a little bit and let's go over to Mount Carmel. And we're going to go to Mount Carmel with Elijah. Would you stand as we read, it, read the public reading of his word? In 1 Kings chapter 18, let's begin reading in verse 17. 1 Kings 18, verse 17. And then we'll look at the uh, story in 1 Kings 18. This is to me is one of the most thrilling scenes in all the Bible. This is an exciting chapter and what a wonderful things you see going on. But verse 17, the Bible said it came to pass when Ahab saw Elijah that Ahab said unto him, Art thou he that troubleth Israel? And he answered, I have not troubled Israel, but thou and thy father's house. Let me stop there. I was thinking when I was reading that, meditating on that statement. You know, this old world we live in doesn't understand our convictions. They don't understand our, how, why we feel about this the way we do, why we look at this the way we do. And we're living in a society, especially in America, that if you, have, if you are religious, it's called the right wing, the far right wing or something like that, then you are the one that's causing problems in this country. I want to say to them, it's not the Christians that troubles America. It is those who know not God that trouble America. But anyway, that's what Elijah said. Uh, Ahab said to him, said, you're that old uh, fundamental preacher over there. You're causing trouble. He said, no, it's not me. But he said in verse 18, in that ye have forsaken the commandments of the Lord, and thou hast followed Balaam. He said, you're the problem. You're what's causing the trouble. Verse 19, Now therefore send and gather to me all Israel unto Mount Carmel, and the prophets of Baal 450, and the prophets of the groves 400. That is, the prophets of the groves were uh, certain prophets of the, uh, one of the gods there, Asheroth, which was uh, the god of sex and different things like that, which eat at Jezebel's table. Verse 20, so Ahab sent unto all the children of Israel and gathered the prophets together unto Mount Carmel. May you may be seated. Let's pray. And tonight as we travel to Carmel with Elijah, let's look at the story and let's learn some things about this exciting event that went on in 1 Kings chapter 18. Our Father tonight in Jesus' name as we come to you, Father, we're very much aware that the world would never understand because they're blinded by the God of this world. But I thank you, Lord, for the day when you took the blinders off of our eyes and you made us sons of God, made us children of God, and help us to see things in a different light, help us to see things from an eternal perspective. And so, Father, tonight we come, we may live in a world that looks upon the believer and looks upon the Christian as being the problem, but I'm so glad that we know a God and that we serve a God tonight that is able to change all things. And so, fathers, we look to you. We just ask you that you would speak to our hearts and take this thrilling story from the Bible and open it to our understanding and help us to leave tonight appreciating the Word of God even more and but even more so appreciating the God of the Word. I pray now you'll use it to stir us and speak to us and challenge us 
And we'll thank you and praise you for it. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I doubt there's anyone in the room tonight that is not familiar with the name of David Livingston. He was a great explorer and missionary in Africa from England, went to Africa for a number of years. And they said that when David Livingston died, that his heart was buried in Africa, his body is buried in the famed Westminster Abbey there in London. But it is said that the funeral procession of David Livingston was one of the greatest London has ever seen. The, street, the streets were thronged with people just wanting to get a glimpse of the body of the great missionary explorer, uh, David Livingston. But I remember reading the story, and I've read different versions of the story, but I remember reading the story about how one particular man was in the crowd. He was a very shabby-dressed man, looked like a bum from off the street. And as the funeral procession was going by, he tried to get to Livingston, to get to the carriage that was carrying the body of Livingston, and he was stopped and he was rebuked by the crowd. But I think about what the old bum said, old shabby-dressed man, bum, looked like he lived on the street. He said to them, he said, I have a right to see David Livingston. He said, I know him better than any of you. And he went on to tell how that when they were boys, he and David Livingston went to Sunday school together. But then he made the statement, said he decided for Christ, I decided against him. Now you think about the story, here are two men. Here's the living, here's the great missionary, here's a bum from off the street. What divided these two men? It was simply a matter of a decision. As the old bum said, he, referring to Livingston, he decided for Christ, but I decided against him. What divided these men earthly and what divided these men eternally was a, simply, was a simple matter of a decision they had made in their life at one time or another. One time Livingston said, this is the route that I'm going to go. And the other fellow, the friend, the boy, the companion in Sunday school said, this is the route that I'm going to go in. And he made a world of a difference, an eternity of a difference, a matter of a decision. Well, I say that to say this, that as we get on the bus and go to Mount Carmel with Elijah, we come to a very familiar scene, one that is known to us in many ways and known to most believers. But we come to a place, and when I come to Mount Carmel, as I work my way through the story, my heart is drawn to the fact that it is a mountain of decision. When you come to 1 Kings 18, you have people making a decision. In fact, you have people being challenged to make a decision. You have people being confronted by Elijah. And there is the call, make your uh, decision. And so what you have here is Mount Carmel. I want to call it a mount of decision and a place where people are called upon to make a decision. And it's a decision that will make all the difference in your life. Just as much between a bum and Livingston. The decision you have to make, a decision that you're reminded of in 1 Kings 18 will make as much difference in your life. Well, let's just go, let me just remind you where Carmel is before we get into the message here. I'm going to pop your map up on the screen here so you can get an idea where you're traveling to and, and where you're going and whatever. Mount Carmel, we often talk about Mount Carmel. And like in our mind, we get this picture of this gigantic mountain. But Carmel is actually a range of mountains, a range of mountains that ran about 12 miles. And it was almost right down on the coast. In fact, the east end of it or the west end of it ended right at the coast of the Mediterranean Sea. You see them out. There's a big yellow arrow there that points to the area. And you see that Mount Carmel's right near the Mediterranean Sea. Started on the east end here and the highest point was about 1,700 feet. And it just kind of declined down to about 600 feet when it reached the edge of the Mediterranean Sea. But it is said that it was on the west end, or the east end rather, uh, where Elijah offered the sacrifice or confronted the uh, prophets of Baal in 1 Kings chapter 18 in a place called El Mahakarika, which means the place of burning. And there was where Elijah, on the east end there, on the high part, where he confronted these, these uh, worshipers of Baal. In fact, Robert Jameson in his commentary said, No spot could have been better adapted for the thousands to have stood. He said the rock shoots up in almost a perpendicular wall of more than 200 feet in height. And this wall made it visible over the whole plain and from all surrounding heights where gazing multitudes would be stationed. If you can imagine this part of this range of mountains called Carmel, and imagine on this one particular mountain there is this jutting wall 
And on the very top, it's like a big stage stuck out in the sky. And there were the altars built to many different kinds of God, a very popular place to build altars and to worship unto God so that all the people gathered around the base could look up and see what was going on. And if you were standing on the higher peaks, you could look down. It was a fitting stage for this showdown that you have in 1 Kings chapter 18. But you have Elijah on Mount Carmel. Now I want us to look at it this way. As I work my way through the text, and I've read this story many, many times, preached through it many, many times, but as I work my way through this text this week, my heart was drawn to the times that some answer is given in the chapter. You find several times that there is a call and there is a demand for an answer. And you find the people answering, you find the God that answers by fire, you find all through the chapter the response and the answer of both God and the people. So let's travel to Carmel with Elijah and get an idea of this scene here and learn a little bit about what's going on at Carmel by considering the answers that are given. There are three of them, and I want to point them out to you briefly tonight. The first one that I want you to notice is found in verse 21, and I call it an unresponsive answer. You find in verse 21 of 1 Kings 18 an unresponsive answer. Now look at verse 21. 1 Kings 18, notice verse 21. The Bible said, And Elijah came unto all the people, and he said, Now how long halt ye between two opinions? If the Lord be God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. Now notice the answer of the people. And the people answered him not a word. Here's Elijah now. And Elijah asked him about a certain matter, and there's a deafening silence on the part of the people. He says to them, he asked them a certain matter, and the people answered him not a word. They were unresponsive. They did not respond to what Elijah said. There was silence. Now, when you look at verse 21, you find that Elijah is calling for a decision on the part of the people. He's saying to them in verse 21, he's saying there's something that you need to do and I come before you today, I am Elijah. I like the way Elijah appeared on the scene. Obadiah met him. He said, you go tell, Eli you go tell Ahab that Elijah is here. And he, said, he was afraid of him. He said, you go tell him I'm in town and time business is about to pick up around this place. Well, you find that Elijah says to the people, how long ought you between two opinions? If God be God, then you follow him. If Baal be God, then you follow him. What Elijah's doing? He's brought the people together here at Mount Carmel, this particular area, and he says to them, he asks them, and he, and he demands that there be a decision made on their part. I want you to learn from the story tonight that not only is Elijah, was Elijah calling on the children of Israel to make a decision, but also God calls on us to make the same decision tonight. Now you say, what kind of decision was being made? I want you to notice the decision, and I see three things about this decision. For one thing... I am mindful that it was a pressing decision. It was a pressing decision. Notice again verse 21. He says, How long halt ye between two opinions? And notice verse 21. If the Lord be God, follow him. If Baal, but if Baal, then follow him. Now here's Elijah. He's saying to them, and he's, there's this pressing matter that is before them. He says to them, Look, there comes this matter of following God. If God is God, then you ought to be following God. If Baal is the real God, then that's who you ought to be following. And he says that to him because he made this statement there that they had been halting between two opinions. You see the word halt there? It is a word that literally means to totters, like some, something going back and forth. It's like they're over here with God and then they're over here with Baal and they're over here with God, over here with Baal, over here with Jehovah. They're just going back and forth. They're tottering back and forth. And Elijah says to him, hey, wait a minute. He said, how long are you going to totter back and forth between Jehovah and Baal? He said, how long are you going to go back and forth? How long are you going to try to be a follower of Jehovah, but yet try to be a follower of Baal? He said, how long are you going to totter back and forth these, between these two decisions? He said, no, no, wait a minute. Here's the pressing issue. If God is God, then that's who you ought to follow. If Baal is God, then that's who ye ought to follow. You see, by profession, they were the people of Jehovah. 
But by practice, they were the worshipers of Baal, going back and forth, having one foot in the things of Jehovah, having another foot in the things of God. And Elijah says, no, 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 no. There has got to be a decision made. He is calling for a definite decision. How long are you going to totter between the two, make up your mind, you decide, are you going to serve God or are you going to serve Baal? Now, I think about these, children, these people here in 1 Kings 18. It's mindful of so many in our particular day. We got so many today that totter back and forth. Maybe not between the worship of Baal and the worship of God, but you got so many that have, God has a little bit, has a part in their life, a little part in their life. But over here, you got all these other things that has a part in their life. And both of them have become like uh, lords in their life. They're little gods they bow to. They got God over here on Sunday. But on Monday, they got this God, and they got that God, and they're going to worship this God. On Sunday, they're going to come to church. They're going to say amen and lift their hands. Oh, yes, he's God. But on Monday, they bow to the God of pleasure, and they bow to the God of popularity, and they bow to the gods of this world. It's like they don't wish to fall out with God, but they want to keep fame with the world. It's like the crowd that will not deny Jesus Christ, there's some, no doubt, in this room tonight that would never dare even think about denying Christ, but yet you won't confess Christ. You'll come, you, you, you would not deny Him, but yet you will not stand up and let others know that you're a Christian and that Christ lives within your heart. It's like so many that want to escape the judgment of sin, but at the same time they want to enjoy the pleasure. They want to die like saints, but they want to live like sinners. It's like a verse that James talks about in James chapter 1 and verse 8. Look at it. James chapter 1 verse 8, he talks about a double-minded man. It's on the screen, a double-minded man. James chapter 1 verse 8. He talked about a double-minded man. He's literally a two-souled man. An individual with divided affections. He has affection for this and he has affection for that. It's like here's an individual that has an affection for the things of God, but yet at the same time, they have affection for the world that is around them. Like one writer, he gave this definition, which I thought was very good. He said a double-minded man is one, is an individual that has one foot planted firmly on the soil of this world's system and another foot planted softly in God's kingdom. Now, here's the challenge to every one of us. Here is the pressing decision that is upon every one of us tonight, me and you, you and me, I should say, and here's the pressing decision. Here is God. Here is the things of this world. Now, if God, if God is God, would you not agree with me tonight? If He's God and if He's Lord, then He ought to be Lord. Amen? If He's God, then you ought to follow Him. But if Baal's God, then you ought to follow Him. But the pressing decision tonight, and we know there's no ifs about the matter, here is the decision, here is the, the definite decision that is called for, is that we are to serve God instead of tottering back and forth, leaning one day over here, leaning this day over there, back and forth like the pendulum of a clock, going back and forth. No, Elijah says, no, wait a minute. There is this matter of God being settled in your life. If he's God, then he ought to be God. If he's the Lord, then he ought to be first in your life. There's no straddling the fence. There is no one foot in the things of God and one foot in the things of the world. No gray areas. You've got to make it black and white. You've got to draw the line in the sand and say, I am a Christian. He is my Savior. Therefore, he is my Lord. He's got to be God. It's a pressing decision. It's a decision pressed upon every one of us tonight. Why, how long halt you between two opinions? Not only is it a pressing decision, but second of all, are you still with me now? It is a present decision. For notice he says, how long halt you between two opinions? It's like Elijah comes before them now and he, said, look at me. he says, look at me for just a moment. This matter going in, back and forth and, and over here worshiping Jehovah, trying to hang on to his name and be in favor with him and over here be in favor with the gods of Baal and Jezebel and Ahab and all these. He said, that stuff's got to stop. You've got to draw the line in the sand. If God's God, then that's who you ought to follow. And he said, first of all, how long are you going to haul, how long are you going to totter between the two? The ideal is, hey, look, today is the time you make a decision. How long are you going to go on like this? It's like Elijah comes on the scene and he says, time to draw the line in the sand. It's a present decision. It's a pressing decision. No matter, it's, it's a pressing decision. He said, hey, draw the line, make up your mind, who are you going to serve? 
And he said, how long? He's like, he said, hey, look, today's the day. Today's when we get this matter right. Now's the time to make decision. But third of all, it was a personal decision. How long halt ye between two opinions? All the crowd, he's got them all together. Remember what his Bible said? He drew all the children of Israel together, all of them. Brought them together and around the base of this gigantic stage, this huge wall of rock, and on the top, this altars that are built to serve God's. Here is this multitude that's gathered around, and Elijah's standing in the brink like a huge uh, God-built pulpit. He says, hey, wait a minute. If God's God, then that's who you ought to serve. And now's the time, and this is the day to make the decision that you're not going to play Christianity. And you're not going to be in the things of God on Sunday, and the things of God, and the things of the world on Monday. You're going to draw the line. He's God in your life. And he says to every one of them, How long hot ye between two opinions? And I can in my, my mind see Elijah say, How long will ye? Halt between two opinions. How about you? How long are you going to go back and forth between two opinions? How long halt you? How about you, buddy? How about you, ma'am? How about you, sir? How long are you going to totter between the two? It was a personal decision. Ye. It was a decision to be made then. And it's a decision to be made by each one of them. It was an uh, answer, an unresponsive answer. Now let me ask you this tonight. What decision have you made about following God? For most part of you, be here on Wednesday night. Someone said on Sunday morning, if you want to find out how much they love their church, just go on Sunday morning, you'll find out how much they love the preacher. Go on Sunday night, if you want to have, find out how much they love God, go on Wednesday night. That's about the truth. And I realize for the majority of you, and your faithfulness to be here on Wednesday night says a whole lot about you. But I want to press the question upon you tonight. What decision have you made about following God? Has there been that time in your life you drew the line in the sand and you said, he's God, therefore I'm going to follow him? He's God, I'm going to serve him. He's God, I'm going to honor him. Or maybe there's some here tonight, kind of like the children of Israel, you're a little bit silent about the matter. You're somewhat unresponsive. I would say to you, how about you? Is Christ Lord of your life? How about you, ma'am, have you given it all to God? How about you, sir, have you given everything to Jesus Christ? Maybe you just stand there and wouldn't say a word. Unresponsive. It was an unresponsive answer. The matter of serving God. But let's go to the second thing. Are you still with me now? Not only do I see an unresponsive answer, but I notice also in the story I see an undeniable answer. Look down in verse 24. 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 21, the people answered him not a word. There was an unresponsive answer. But in verse 24, there is an undeniable answer. For the Bible said in verse 24, Elijah says to the prophets, And call ye on the name of your gods, and I will call on the name of the Lord, and the God that answereth by fire, let him be God. Elijah now is talking about God and his answer. First answer had to do with the people. And they said not a word. It was deafening silence on their part. He said, how long are you going to halt between, totter between two opinions? Serve God. And the people didn't say anything. They didn't say anything. No commitment on their part. Unresponsive. But now it comes to the matter of God answering, and you'll find that his answer was an undeniable answer. I read this. I can't help but think about the showdown at the OK Corral. I mean, I like shoot-em-ups, don't you? I, I'm a Western lover. I like shoot-em-ups. And... Clint Eastwood and, uh, and all of those. I like those kind of movies. That, you know, I, I, listen, it's great to go home from church on Wednesday night and whatever and just watch a Western where they just shoot everybody up. Isn't that good? Don't you like that? Just really gets you to a place where you can unwind and go to bed and get a good night's rest. But shoot out the OK Corral. But what you have here, you don't have the Earps and the Blanchard shooting it out in about 13 seconds. You have a showdown between the false and you have a showdown between the true. Notice verse 23. Scripture said, Let them therefore give us two bullocks. He said to the people. And he said, Let's choose one bullock for themselves, cut it in pieces, lay it on the wood, put no fire under. And I will dress the other bullock and lay it on the wood and put no fire under. And he says, Call your name of the Lord, and I will call on the name of God. And the God that answereth by fire, let him be God. And all the people answered and said, It is well spoken. Here is this undeniable answer. God answers... And there was no doubt 
and the answer. Look at the story. Let's break it down a little bit more in detail. For one thing, notice the instructions of Elijah. The instructions of Elijah. You look at the story and you'll find there are basically two set of instructions. There was the instructions that were given to the prophets in verse 25 through 29, and there were the instructions that were given to the people in verses 30 through 35. Look at them briefly. And these are three. You, just, uh, you don't even have to go through there and explain anything. Just read it and it blesses you to death. Look at the instructions that he gave to the prophets beginning in verse 25. And Elijah said unto the prophets of Baal, Choose you one bullock for yourselves, Dress it first. He said, I want you to look. We've got two bullets now. You pick out the one you want. He's making it very, very clear. He's not uh, rigging anything up. He's not doing anything secretively or whatever like that. He said, here's two bullets. You pick every which one you want to. And you, first of all, dress it. You're the first ones. And I think he kind of just sneered and said, you got a whole lot more than I do for you, many. And he said, this is what I want you to do. I want you to call on the name of your gods, but here's one condition. Don't start any fire under the altar. All the altars were burning and the sacrifices be laid on those burning offerings and whatever. He said, no, 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 we're not going to put any fire on the altar. You get your bullock, you dress your bullock, put it on the altar, but don't nobody, don't nobody pull your zippo out and start a fire. I want no fire under the wood. Verse 26, and they took the bullock which was given them and they dressed it. Now look at this. They called on the name of Baal from morning until noon. That's about 6 o'clock in the morning, about noon, saying, O Baal, hear us. But there was no voice, nor any that answered. And listen, they were getting to such a point now that he's about to panic that they leaped upon the altar which was made. It's like one of those pagan ritual services where they were running around, jumping up and down, dancing on the altar, and all their expressions are trying to get a hold of their God. And it came to pass at verse 27. They've been going at it for hours. They've been praying for hours. They've been calling out to their God, Baal, for hours. And now there they are jumping up and down on the altar, screaming out, trying to get the attention of their God. And at noon, old Elijah, I see him sitting over there on a rock. He's got a Coca-Cola and a oatmeal cake in his hand, and he kind of wipes his lips, and he says, Cry loud. So won't you cry a little bit louder? He said, Your God... You told me he's a God. He's a God. He said, maybe he's talking. Maybe he's talking to somebody else. You need to cry a little louder and get his attention. Or maybe he's pursuing. Maybe he's uh, uh, just uh, meditating. That's the ideal there. Maybe he's thinking somewhere. He's in a quiet place and he's just meditating on something. Why don't you holler a little bit louder and kind of get his attention? Or maybe he's on a journey. Maybe he's gone to Gatlinburg. you got to get all those things out of the Hebrew text. Amen. And he said, well, maybe he's even asleep. You need to wake him up. He said, cry louder. Verse 28 said, and they cried aloud and cut themselves after their manner with knives and lances till the blood gushed out upon them. Now they're about to panic. And now Elijah said, hey, look. He mocked and said, hey, God, where's he at? Why ain't he answered? What's he doing? Is he gone on a trip, whatever there? And they began to cry louder, and they cut themselves, and blood gushed out upon them. And it came to pass in verse 29, when midday was passed around one, two in the afternoon, they prophesied unto the time of the offering, the evening sacrifice, that there was neither voice nor any answer, nor any that regarded. They spent the whole morning trying to get hold of their God. And all they're trying to do is say, God, would you light the fire? God, would you send down fire? Would you ignite the wood? And they spend the morning hours and the point they finally work themselves up into a frenzy and there is no answer, whatever. That's the instructions he gave to the prophets. But look at the instructions he gave to the people. In verse 30, notice the story. Verse 30 we find, And Elijah said to all the people, Come near unto me. He repaired the altar of the Lord that was broken down. Then he took 12 stones, according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Jacob, unto whom the word of the Lord came, saying, Israel shall be thy name. And with the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord, and he made a trench about the altar, built a moat about that altar, as great as would contain two measures of seed. And he put wood in the altar, cut the bullock in pieces, just like they normally do, laid them on the altar and said, Fill four barrels with water and pour it on the burnt sacrifice and on the wood. Elijah knows what he's about to do, but he's setting this thing up. Can't nobody question what's about to happen. He said, I'm going to soak this down. I want you to make sure I don't have a secret fire burning underneath this altar. He said, I want you to soak it down, boys. And verse 33, they poured the water on the burnt sacrifice and the wood. 
And then he said to them, verse 34, do it again. Do it a second time. And they did it a second time. And he said, do it a third time. And they did it a third time. He soaked the sacrifice down. He soaked the wood down. Verse 35 said, the water ran round about the altar. And not only did he soak the sacrifice down, but he made sure in verse 35, he filled the trench also with water. Like a small moat going around that altar. And then in verse 36, it came to pass at the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice that Elijah the prophet came near. You find his prayer in verse 36 and 37. We'll come back to that in a moment. But look at verse 38. Then the fire of the Lord fell. You talking about they had prayed all morning. All morning they had prayed. They had jumped up and down trying to get the attention of their God. They even cut themselves, made all kinds of sacrifices to get the attention of their God. But Elijah prays for about 30 seconds. And then the fire of the Lord fell. And notice what happened. It consumed the burnt sacrifice. It consumed the wood, that old soggy sacrifice, that old soggy wood. And even not only burn up the wet sacrifice, and not only burn up the soaked wood, but even the stones it burned up. And the dust was burned up. And it licked up the water that was in the trench. You talking about getting an answer. You talking about to tell the truth. I think about a TV show, you remember that old show, To Tell the Truth? And you had to start out, somebody said, my name is Bill Jones. And another fellow, my name is Bill Jones. And another fellow, my name is Bill Jones. And at the end, they would say, will the real Mr. Bill Jones stand up? Always somebody leaned back in their seat. You knew it wasn't him. One and leaned forward like he's fixing to get up. And then the other one pop up and say, I'm Mr. Jones. Well, I want you to know, who's the real God? Will the real God stand up? He stood up in big time on Mount Carmel and let it be known he's God. And there wasn't any question about the matter. And there wasn't any doubt about the matter. It was an undeniable answer as instructions of Elijah. But look again, verse 36 and 37. Passed over intentionally because I want you to see the intentions of Elijah. There was his instructions, instructions to the prophets, his instructions to the people. But notice his intention in verse 36. Why did he do all of this? What's all this about? Notice verse 36. A time of the evening, offering of the evening sacrifice. That's a special time to the Jewish people. That's the time every day that a sacrifice would be offered as a meal offering and as a peace offering to God. It was a time that Jesus died on the cross, a very special time, that Elijah the prophet came near and he said, Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and of Israel. Look at this. Let it be known. Let it be known this day that thou art God in Israel and that I am thy servant. He said, let it be known your God. I'm nothing but a servant. It's not my doings, but it's yours doings. And that I've done all these things at thy word. Verse 37, hear me, O Lord, hear me that the people may know that thou art the Lord God and that thou hast turned their heart back again. You know what this is all about? You know what this whole thing is about? It's not so Elijah can put a whipping on Ahab. It's not just so that he can show the prophets of Baal who's the real God is. Now, what's going on on Mount Carmel is not so much for the benefit of the false prophets. It's for the benefit of the people of God. He wants them to know that God is God. He started out saying, if he's God, then that's who y'all to follow. If Baal's God, then that's who y'all to follow. But when it's all said and done, the smoke clears and the fire dies down. There is no question about who is God. He wants them to know that he is God. I want you to listen to me tonight. I want you to understand something. There is one thing God desires in all of our lives. And God wants to be more than a museum piece that we study and he wants to be more than some distant figure that we dream about. He wants to be God in your life. He wants to be a blessed reality in your life. He wants to be known in your life. He wants to make himself known in your life. He wants to be more than a name. He wants to be real in your life. God wants you to know he's God. God wants you to see his power in your life. And God wants you to experience his power in, his, in your life. He wants to make himself known to the children of Israel. He wanted the people to know that he's God. I believe this tonight. God, is, God wants to be known as God. 
You know what this whole world needs? The Bible said in verse 38, then the fire of the Lord fell. You know what we need in this world? We've got all, all, everything. And I'm not against programs, and I'm not against methods, and I try, to, I try to find out what we need here. I try to discover what we need here as far as programs and, and directions and things like that are concerned. I'm for that. I'm all for that. I try to learn. I try to better myself, constantly trying to educate myself and better myself and keep myself on the cutting end of ministry resources and tools. But I want you to understand something. There's something we need more than programs, and there's something we need more than this, that, and the other. i tell you what we need in this old generation is for the fire of God to fall and for the fire of the Holy Ghost of God to breathe upon us once again and show us that God's God and He's not just a name in heaven, but He's real. He's God. I'm not talking about this charismatic stuff. There's not a charismatic hair on my head. If they was, I'd pull it out and burn it. And if it's the only hair I had on my head, I'd pull it out. No wobble room for me in this fee-fi-fold religion. But I'm talking about the real power of God, the Holy Ghost of God, the fire of God falling upon the people of God. That's what we need. That'll do more in a service than anything else we can do. We can pump the PA system up, bring in the five busloads of Cortez. But I'm going to tell you something. God will do more in five minutes than they can do in 50 years. It's the fire of God falling. Can I get an amen? The fire fell. God wants to make himself known. He wants to make himself known in our churches. But an undeniable answer, verse 24. But let me give you a third one, then I'll get through here. Try to get through by 8 o'clock, but if a backslide go a little longer... It don't make any difference. Say amen right there. You thought I was going to apologize, didn't you? No, I'm not going to apologize. If you get mad, then you need to apologize. But look at verse 39. Not only do you have an unresponsive answer, they answered not a word. And an undeniable answer, the God that answered by fire. No doubt about it. No doubt about it. But you find in verse 39 an uninhibited answer. Now think back again. When Elijah first showed up on the scene, he said, hey, how long are you going to totter between two opinions? How long are you going to have your foot over here in Jehovah and a foot over here in Baal? How long are you going to try to play both ends of the fence? How long are you going to try to be cat and mouse at the same time? How long are you going to halt between two opinions? How long are you going to totter between two opinions? He said, if God is God, then you ought to follow him. Baal's Baal, you ought to follow him. And the people answered not a word. But look now in verse 39. When all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and they said, The Lord, He is the God. The Lord, He is the God. You're talking about a difference now. Back over in verse 21, they had been silent. But now they're not inhibited in any way. You find them crying out. One writer I read today said, What you have here was a chant that they found themselves around the base of Mount Carmel chanting over and over and over, the Lord, He is God, the Lord, He is God, the Lord, He is God. What happened? God had given them an undeniable answer, and now as He prayed in verse 37, that thou hast turned their heart back again. Now they're a turned people. And you find them crying out, the Lord, He is God. An uninhibited answer, not ashamed, not hesitant, no questions. No indecisiveness on their part. Now they come and say, He's God. Can I point out two things in closing tonight? When I read verses 39 and verses 40 there, I see two things that God wants out of every one of us tonight. I see, first of all, the proclamation God wants to hear from His people. Just like they cried out, the Lord, He is God. You know what God wants to hear out of every one of us tonight? He wants to hear every one of us falling on our knees before Him and saying, God, You are Lord and be Lord of my life. The proclamation God wants to hear from me is that He's the Lord. And the proclamation that God wants to hear from every one of you is that He's the Lord. Have you made that proclamation? That's the proclamation God wants to hear. God wants every one of us to lift our hands toward Him and to bow our knees toward Him and say with Thomas, My Lord and my God. Have you made that proclamation? But look in verse 40. There's not only the proclamation God wants to hear from His people, but there's the dedication God wants to see from His people. Verse 40, Elijah said unto them, Take the prophets of Baal, let not one of them escape. And they took them, and Elijah brought them down the brook Kishon, and he slew them there. You not only hear them proclaiming the Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God. 
But you find in verse 40 actions that reveals they are cutting the ties with the old world and now they are giving their everything to God and you see their act of dedication and consecration as they purge the land of the worshipers of Baal. It's the dedication God wants to see in His people. You know, listen, baby, now. You know, God wants to hear from every one of us. Every one of us now. I don't care who you are. If you say the one thing God wants to hear from you is you are Lord. And the thing that God wants to see out of your life is a dedication to God and serving God and following Him. Now listen to me now. Is He God? Is He God? Is Christ Savior? Is Jesus Lord? If He is, then follow Him. Don't totter between Christ and the world. How long go on living that way? God says give it all to Him totally. Put Him first in your life and live for God. Serve God and be dedicated to God. It's a decision that was called on the people. I'll never forget the night I surrendered to preach. I'll never forget it. Thank God for that blessed night. July the 12th, 1972. I was 16 years of age. And I remember that Sunday night I walked down the aisle and I got on my knees and my Sunday school teacher knelt down beside me. And he put his arm around me and said, Ken, what is it I can pray with you about? And I said, I just want to give my life to the Lord. I hadn't been saved just two or three months. And I meant it that night. God knew from the depths of my heart I meant it. I don't remember what in service it went on in service. I don't remember what it was about the message. I don't remember anything extraordinary there that had an impact on me, brought me. All I know was I found myself on my knees in the altar at the end of the service, and I said, I want to give it all to God. He prayed with me. And I told God that night I wanted to live for him. And I meant it from the bottom of my heart. No long halt between two opinions. It's a matter of he's God that I'm going to serve it. And that night I burnt my bridges, this whole world, and I gave my life to God. I got off my knees. You've heard me tell this before, but I want to hear it again, so I'm going to tell it again. But I got off my knees that night, and I, and I, knew, from, I, knew, I knew what God wanted me to do. Someone I, all, I'm asked, Brother Ken, not too long ago, someone called me and said, Brother Ken, how do you know if God... It's called you to preach. And this is the answer that I give them. This helps them. I know it helps them. I know it does. But I say, well, if he's called you, you'll know. That's the only answer I can give them. And they want me to give them one, two, three, fours. And, and I guess I could say, well, one, do you like chicken? I guess that would be the first thing uh, when I preach there. And, and are you lazy? You know, preachers don't work but two days a week. Are you lazy? I could give all these qualifications, but I always say to them, uh, if, if you know, if, 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 if he's called you to preach, you'll know it. And, I, and they said, well, I don't know. Then I said, don't do anything. If you, don't have a, if you have questions and set still, don't do anything. Just serve God. Just be willing to do anything God wants. But I promise you one thing. If he ever calls you to do something, you won't have to wonder what it is. You'll know it. I got off my knees that night. I knew what he wanted me to do. That was on Sunday night. Monday night went by. I thought about it. Chewed on it all during the day. And I, I, 16 years old, I never thought about preaching. I never, never, I didn't grow up with that in my mind. I didn't grow up with the desire in my heart. I went down an altar that night. I didn't go down there to give my life to be a preacher. But I got up knowing that's what he wanted me to do. Monday, I live with the thoughts of being a I couldn't imagine, couldn't visualize being a preacher. Tuesday, I went all day long. Went to work on Tuesday night. About 8 o'clock, I walked out and got on. I said, dear God, I'll do what you want me to do. And I remember going home. Took that old boy home. He lived out on Deerfield Road. Dropped him off. It's about 11.30. And he said, I'll see you tomorrow. And I said, see you. I went on down the road. Got down the road about a half a mile. Got out of my car. Went up an old rock quarry up there. And got on my knees. And I said, God, you want me to be a preacher? That's what I'll be. I said, Lord, I'll do anything you want me to do. I'll be anything you want me to be. I can't explain this. But all of a sudden, I found myself just crying one minute. And just, I mean, there was a joy. It flooded my heart. And I found myself shouting. I never shouted before in my life. But I remember up that old rock quarry, crying one minute, rejoicing the next minute. I come out of that rock quarry, went home, went through town, cried a minute, shouted a minute, cried a minute, shouted a minute. I mean, glory flooded my soul. Pulled in the driveway, got out of the car, and I just stood in the driveway and just shouted and cried. And porch light came on. Mom came out the door. She said, what's the matter? I said, Mom, guess what God's done for me tonight? She said, what? I said, he's called me to preach. This is exactly what she said. She said, Ken, have you been drinking? I said, no, God's called 
me to preach. I tell you what happened that night. I said, he's God. I'm going to follow him. He's Lord. He's got my life. He's God. There's no doubt about it. And because he's God, I'm going to give my life to him. Thank God. Have you made that decision tonight? Let's stand to our feet, please. Get your prayer sheet out. It's a mountain of decision where you decide that you're going to give it all to God. No longer tottering between two opinions. In a matter of giving it all to God. Aren't you glad tonight you know him? Amen? Look at a prayer sheet. We're going to pray for these things and then we'll come work the truth of God in our heart and the altar in just a moment. Our missionary of the week is Mr. and Mrs. Richard Thompson. We all love the Thompsons. They visit here quite often. Faith Children's Home in Chickamauga. I want to remember them. Our church of the week is dear friend Brother Tom Walker, Zion Hill Baptist Church in Marion, North Carolina. Remember Tom, he's always here in the Bible conference in the fall. Then our hospital list, the Memorial Hospital, we're still praying for Barbara Cole. And also Irene Touchstone, she's at East Ridge Hospital. She's been in there a week today. Problems with her, with her lungs and different things. Saw her today. Doing a little bit better. We're doing some tests today, but still not sure what's going on. But we want to remember Irene Touchstone. And then as many of you know, Jesse Morton, her house burned down on Monday. She lost everything she lost everything she's staying in her neighbors right now but we want to pray for Jesse I've been there I know what that is and many of you have been there and we want to pray for Jesse tonight and uh, but uh, she is she lost everything let's remember Jesse be praying for let's come to the altar when all of you come to the altar that we own here's three things you're gonna do you're gonna pray for the missionary of the week the Thompson's you're gonna pray for Zion Hill Baptist Church and brother Walker and thirdly won't you come down here tonight, make you a beeline down to this Wednesday night altar and say, he's God, I'm going to follow him. I mean, I'm going to follow God. I'm going to serve God. I'm going to give my life to God. No more of this in and out, on and off, up and down, hot and cold stuff. I'm going to give my life to God. I'm going to serve God. He's the God that answers by fire. I'm going to serve God. Give it all to God. That's what he wants out of you. That's what he desires out of you. And if he's God, then that's what he ought to get out of us. Will you come tonight, pray for these things, and also tonight let the God that answers by fire be your God? All of you will. Let's come gather around the altar, close out this Wednesday night service as we always do, praying for these things. Get up out of your seat and come. Amen. What a wonderful Lord we serve. Why would we not follow God? Why would we not serve God? Why would we not Make him Lord, giving him everything. Do that tonight. He's God. He wants, he wants to show himself as God in our life. He wants the fire to fall. We need the fire to fall. But why don't you let him tonight be God in your life? Father, in Jesus' name, we come to you tonight. And we're very much aware, Lord, we don't have any rights of our own to come to you. It's only through the blood of Jesus Christ that we're able to even get to you. But I thank you, Lord, that through your blood, You've made a way that we might come to you and might come boldly to the throne of grace. Father, tonight we come to pray for Brother Thompson, Faith Children's Home. Thank you for the many, Lord, that give their life around this country and even around the world to help needy boys and girls and young men and young women. We pray, God, for Brother Thompson tonight that you bless him, that you touch him, his health, his spiritual needs, his financial needs, the home, the work there the ministry, all the needs they have. I pray you bless them. Continue to use them. And then for Brother Walker, thank you for Brother Tom, for his friendship, for Zion Hill Baptist Church. Bless that ministry. Do wonderful things there in Marion. Let the church grow. Let it prosper of you. Let them see wonderful things done. But bless Zion Hill Baptist and Brother Walker. Father, tonight as we come, we pray for our sick folk. We still continue to pray for Barbara Cole that you'd save her. We pray for Kevin, all of them. We'll see him saved and living for God. Pray for Irene, that you'd touch her tonight. Thank you for her. Bless her and help her. For Jessie tonight, I pray you'd be with her and help her now as uh, she begins the process of starting, literally starting her life all over in many ways. I pray you bless her. And then, fathers, we come tonight. Fathers, we have traveled with Elijah to Mount Carmel. We've been confronted tonight with the decision are we going to serve God or are we going to just let him have a place in our life 
Lord, are we going to totter between this and that? Or are we going to serve God and follow God? Are we going to put Him first in our life? Totally give our lives to God. Help us tonight. I pray, Lord, even now in this altar, there are decisions being made that He's God and I'm going to follow God. And He's Lord and we'll serve Him. My life is not going to be like the double-minded man. But I'm going to serve God. I'm going to have one foot planted in the world, one foot in the things of God. He's God, therefore, I'm going to follow Him the way He ought to be followed and served. Lord, may there be cries tonight come up from the hearts of many. The Lord, He is God. And may there in the days to come to see that dedication in our life that shows that He is Lord. Take us and use us. Lord, here at Temple, we want to see the fire fall, the blessed fire of God to fall upon this place, melting our old, cold, stony hearts, igniting our souls, Lord, just stirring us that our souls are living blazes to the glory of God. A cold and different religion, Lord, makes you sick. God, let the fire fall, setting us on fire about the things of God. You're God. You're the God that answers by fire. Lord, we cry out tonight. We pray that you would make yourself known unto your children. Make yourself known in this place that every time we come, we see the hand of God and see the power of God at work. So, Father, bless here tonight. Stir us. I pray God touch us now as we begin a brand new year. We see wonderful things done. We thank you for all you've done. Thank you even in advance for what you're going to do. For it's in the name of Jesus Christ we pray and ask these things. Amen. Bless you. Thank you for being here on Wednesday night. Be sure to let our visitors know how glad we are to have them tonight. Have those that are visiting. You be sure to speak to them. Introduce yourself to them. Walk up to them. Tell them who you are. Sunday school teachers, tell them about your Sunday school classes and things going on. Be sure to take the time now to be friendly to others. Back on Sunday, bring somebody with you.